Welcome to the Sales Development Podcast, your go-to resource for all things pipeline and revenue production in the tech sales world. Technology marketing, sales development, sales, and revenue operations have combined to create the go-to market engine fueling the success of SaaS startups and established companies alike. Each week, the Sales Development Podcast dives deeply into the strategies, tactics, people, processes, and technology that fuels the revenue machine. The Sales Development Podcast is brought to you by Tenbound. Get more free resources, insights, and intelligence today at tenbound.com. And be sure to like and subscribe on YouTube. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I am excited to dive in today with Colin Mitchell, the VP of Sales over at Leadium. Colin, how are you doing today? Doing good. Looking forward to this conversation, David. So thanks so much for having me on. I know you're going from thing to thing. You just were doing a webinar and now you're doing a podcast. <laughs> What's next today? It's crazy. Yeah. I try to line all of these things up on one day, you know, because it does make it, you know, I love going on podcasts. I also have my podcast. I love doing events, webinars, you name it. But I found that if you can just get in the zone and do them all, you know, kind of on one day, it doesn't always work out perfectly like that. Then it can be pretty fun and rather than kind of shifting gears all the time throughout the week. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's such great advice, you know, chunking out your time. And so you can really focus on, you know, like a media day, you know, you could do all your media in one day it's done. And then now you can focus on prospecting or closing, whatever the next thing is, right? How the sales world has changed, right? We all have to create content now. It's like a huge part of what we do these days, which didn't always used to be the case. Yeah, it's really important to get out there. And, you know, your career has been amazing in that, you know, kind of crawling up through the ranks of the sales world to become this expert, really, in the sales industry. How did you get into sales? And, you know, what are you doing now over at Leadium? Yeah, yeah. I'll give you the short version and then we can save some time for the good stuff. But I'm not your typical sales story where it's like, hey, I was sought out to do this thing and it didn't work out and sales was my fallback plan, right? Which I'm sure you've heard that story many times, right? Nobody plans to get into sales a lot of times, but sales was literally the only door open for me. So I grew up, you know, poor, raised by a single mom with, you know, three brothers. You know, she did the best she could to keep food on the table. And, you know, life was a bit of a struggle as a young kid. And so I didn't go to college. And my first like job was moving furniture and such. And when you're young, you're like, hey, I could stay outside and stay in shape and lift heavy stuff, which is not so bad. But the writing was kind of on the wall of I needed to get a more of a career than just a job. And so that's when I got my first sales job. And I worked my way up to you know, within the top, you know, three reps within 12 months. And I didn't have any, you know, skills or experience or anything. It was just hard work. It was just first one in the office every day, last one to leave every day, came in on the weekends, which you know that only take you so far. After that, I got my first VP of sales position, ran a team there, drove millions of dollars in revenue, You know, got more experience, business acumen, made a lot of mistakes as a first-time leader. And then from there, my wife and I started our first company, drove that from zero to 5 million in 26 months. And then from there, I've started a few other companies. I've had you know a few exits and head of sales roles. And now I'm the VP of sales and managing partner over at Leadium, where we help people with top of funnel. So we do outbound as a service. And we also do inbound lead management, which is kind of the two core services that people come to us for. Wow. Okay. So just going back, why sales? So you know, of all the different things that you could have done, 
why did you decide to get into that? And then all of a sudden you found this momentum. Yeah. So, you know, knew a few people in sales. My stepdad was in sales and he's the one that got me that job. And I actually had to like almost beg for the opportunity, right? Because I was not the most like reliable, dependable young adult. And so after, you know, bothering him enough times and him feeling like, okay, I'm kind of willing to stick my neck out there for you. He got me an interview. I got the job. Then I just knew like, this is my shot. This is like my way out of living, you know, sort of a check to check sort of lifestyle, which, you know, I saw how that works out even just, you know, being raised by a single mom and not having a lot of money as a kid. So I made the most of it. It's just really never turned back. Then why, you know, you had this opportunity, but you ended up staying late, you know, coming in early, staying late, like grinding it out there where, what was that internal, you know, drive that you discovered really? Honestly, I think I had a bit of chip on my shoulder, just kind of feeling like I had something to prove and I was young and, you know, I didn't have a lot of other things that I was focused on other than my work at the time. And I knew that, you know, this was an opportunity for me to, you know, turn this into a career, which then led to me founding, you know, multiple companies. Cause I think, you know, sales is the most essential skill if you ever want to be a founder. And I was just willing to put the work in. Yeah. And then, so you had the success and you started to get momentum. And then why did you decide to start a company? Yeah. I think from there, I just thought like, hey, I think I want to give this a shot and work for myself. And at the time it made sense. Like I didn't have a family. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have like a lot of expenses. And it was kind of like, hey, if I'm going to do it, you know, I have a little bit of money saved up from working hard and I can keep my expenses low and give this thing a shot. And it worked out well. We strategically hired some great people, built an outbound sales team, we didn't do anything fancy, didn't spend any money on marketing, you know, had the best, you know, tech for all of our sellers. And then that's when we drove that company from zero to five million in 26 months. That's crazy. Okay. So and what were you selling? So we were a bit of an IT VAR. So we sold like hardware, software, equipment, solutions, things like that, mostly to school districts and government agencies. Oh my gosh. Okay. And how did you get into that? So that's what I was doing previously. And then just went out on my own and did that. And made it happen. Wow. Okay. So you started that with your wife. Yeah. (laughs) Boy, that's all. She has the hard job now at home with the four kids. So I come to work to to take a break. (laughs) Nice. Nice. She always says, okay, you're going to go run away to work now. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She's working harder than both of us. Yeah, would you do it again? Starting at oh, this absolutely. Point? Okay, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it was a good. I know there's some people that are like, "Oh, that sounds a little dicey," <laughs> but it worked out well. You know, we had very different roles and we respected each other's roles. She also came from a sales background, so much so now that you know, anytime I come home in a bad mood, she's like, "How's your pipeline looking?" Oh, <laughs> is that a good question or? It is a good question because I'm like, yeah. That's probably why I'm, you know, not my best self right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Empty pipeline and sleepless nights, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So then you got into Ledium. So what attracted you to getting involved with that? And what does Ledium do? Yeah. So Ledium does outbound as a service and inbound lead management. So top of funnel services. You know, there's really three things people come to us for. Either they're getting a ton of inbound leads. And they need us to manage that for them, right? We all know responding in five minutes increases your likelihood of winning that business. 
We all know that, you know, it's, if you're getting large amounts of inbound, which, you know, some of these companies are doing great job at marketing. I mean, I saw recently somebody did an experiment where they went and filled out a request a demo form on hundreds of SaaS companies, websites, and the numbers that came back were mind blowing. And I don't remember the exact figures, but roughly it was like, you know, 30% responded I mean, there was a small percentage that responded within five minutes, like very minimal. And then it was like 30% responded in like 48 hours. And then there was a chunk that responded like within a week. And then there was like 30% that never responded at all on a requested demo. That's crazy. And so a lot of teams struggle when, you know, they do a good job in marketing and they're doing content and they're doing all of these other things that are driving requests, you know, qualifying those leads and getting those leads on the calendar and responding, you know, quickly. So that's something we specialize in and we do really well. And then your typical outbound service, hey, we need you know more qualified sales appointments. People come to us for that. Been, Lidium's been around for you know over 10 years. We've driven companies to raise over $7 billion, over 37 acquisitions of companies while either working with or directly after working with Lidium, and then even five companies who have IPO'd during or right after working with us. So doing some really good work. I actually used to be a Lidium customer. So I've known Kevin and Sergey, the co-founders, for a long time. They helped me drive growth for a couple of my companies. And you know, after the last thing that I ended up doing, which didn't work out so well, I ended up joining them more recently as their VP of Sales and Managing Partner. Wow. Okay, that's crazy. So on Leadium, do the reps that work at Leadium do they actually go in and use the database of the company and just like log in as though they're one of their employees, or is there another? you know, database and you have to pipe the information to them. So depends. So two different scenarios, right? So for like inbound leads, those leads are coming in and getting pushed directly to us and the systems that we use, which then syncs back to their CRM and such. So that's how we execute on that. And then for outbound, you know, we're sourcing the data. We're, you know, data is like a huge part of our strategy, but we're sourcing all the data, building the database, using our tech on our side that syncs back over to their CRM as well. Got it. Okay. And then is Lidium really focused on like one vertical industry or is it just all over the place? A little bit all over the place. Everything we do is B2B, but I would say, you know, lots of experience in SaaS services, consulting, pretty much all over the place, even some like really weird, obscure stuff that you wouldn't think of. And, and those campaigns actually, you know, tend to perform extremely well you know, when you're targeting folks that aren't just getting hammered, you know, like sales and marketing, you know, SaaS people. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, you know, the SDR model is very well adopted, obviously in tech, but beyond that, are other industries using that model as well? Or is it more old school? So in a lot of times, yeah, when you speak to some other industries, like they don't even know what an SDR is, right? They're like, we just need sales appointments. Like what's an SDR? But we do something unique with our SDRs, where we, number one, all of our sales development reps are like full-time US-based W-2 employees, which is rare in agencies. A lot of agencies use third parties, contractors, which aren't reliable, or vast majority use overseas talent. So that in itself is unique, but the next piece is super unique. There's nobody that I know of that's doing this as of yet. I know some people have talked about it, but we do specialization of roles. So our callers only call, our email handlers only do email, our social sellers only do social, and our personalized video folks only do videos, and that's all they do. So essentially on a campaign, there could be up to four different SDRs working across a campaign, 
And they only execute on those channels when there's tasks within their execution channel for that particular campaign. Whoa. Okay. That sounds expensive. Yes and no. Yes and no. It's actually efficient. It's very efficient because, I mean, as you know, we have to focus on the value. David, you know, if you think about your typical SDR, usually they're stronger at one, maybe two of those things. So why not fully lean into that? Right. And it does get a little bit challenging for like internal teams to pull it off because then you're like thinking about how do I comp for this? Right. It's now a team that's booking these meetings. It's not like a single person. It's like, you know, if somebody, if step one in the sequence was a, email and step two is a call. And then step three is a personalized video. And that person books a meeting. Was it because of the video or was it because of a combination of all the touches, right? It's because of a combination of all the touches. So compensation is something that gets a little bit hard to pull off, but it's doable. But if you think about it, you know, your typical SDR is like, oh, I hate writing emails. I suck at writing, but I just love making calls or like I'm great and creative and can write like really good emails with, you know, and I'm great at like researching and stuff like that, but I hate picking up the phone. Right. And so why not like fully embrace that and put them where, you know, they're most comfortable and can do their best work? Oh, hundred percent. And they're W2 though. So what happens when the business starts to dry up? Do you have to go through and actually fire people? Keeping a W2 is really hard because you have a steady stream of business or otherwise you're stuck with people that don't have anything to do. So we're fortunate enough where that hasn't been the case. We get a very healthy amount of inbound and we actually turn away about 60% of the folks that want to work with us because wow. we- Customers? We tr- like they want yes. to be your customers or they want to work there? Yeah. Which is different than most agencies. Most agencies will wow. take anybody who's willing to pay. Yeah. We're very selective. We try to only take on businesses that we think we can be successful with. Okay. And yeah, really smart. Because not everything performed like the number one question that a lot of companies have is like, does outbound even work for me? And if they've never done it before, they don't know. And we've done it long enough where we know like there's just certain niches where it's like, yeah, it's not going to perform well. Or, you know, a lot of times it has more to do with like, hey, is it a good fit? Do they have a unique enough value proposition? Have they reached product market fit, product messaging fit? If we tee them up meetings, do they even have a good enough sales process to close those meetings? Because a lot of times that disqualifies folks because it's like, we can book all the qualified meetings we want, but if they can't close them, we still get fired. And it's a royal just waste of time. So there's a lot of things that we look for initially to say, hey, is this even a campaign we even want to bring on board in the first place? Okay. Wow. Okay. So they would come to you and then what's the process of figuring that out? Because do they ever get mad at you? They're Yeah. Take my money. I want to pay you guys. I mean, I wouldn't say they get mad. I think most of them appreciate the honesty because usually when an inbound lead comes in, and this is for any business, not just for like Leadium or sales agencies, when you get an inbound lead, they're likely looking at at least at least four other competitors, right? And so I think a lot of times it's refreshing because it's different than what they're hearing from everybody else, where everybody's just saying, hey, we're the best and here's why and you know, all of that jazz. But if you take a step back and you kind of, you know, qualify or try to disqualify, it's a very different experience for the buyer where they feel like, hey, you actually care about 
you know, whether you think you can help me or not. And you're not just here, you know, to take my money or earn your commission. Yep. And usually what happens is no matter what kind of company it is, they just sign you up, they take like a three month, you know, deposit. And then at the end of three months, there's nothing. And they come back and say, sorry, you know, so you're saving everybody a lot of time and money and heartache. And we get the ones that for whatever reason, they don't go with us as their first choice. And, you know, three, four months later, they're like, they come back a lot of times <laughs> because unfortunately there is a lot of, you know, bad actors that, you know, kind of how you described there, but, you know, outbound is hard. It's gotten more and more difficult. You know that, right? I mean, just getting oh in the God. inbox is hard for a lot of folks and the amount of noise that's out there now. I mean, I'm sure you're seeing this too. Like we're booking more meetings on phone than we used to before, less on email because email is more difficult. You know, email, you know, you could do email only campaigns before and easily, you know, have a lot of success, but email has gotten, you know, more and more complicated with a lot of the rise of automation and tools and AI and you name it, where you really need to do multi-channel. You need to have a good strategy. A lot of your strategy consists around the data and like really getting to know as much as you possibly can about these people before you ever even reach out. Mm -hmm. And so there's a sweet spot of client that comes in. And so you've got a lot of data already, right? For that basket of clients that comes in. What if a client comes in and you think that you can help them, but you don't have any data yet for their target market? Yeah. So there's like, 15 different data providers that you could use, right? We usually settle on about five for a particular campaign. And so when oh, you think wow. about data, most people are using like one or two data sources, right? Maybe they have a Zoom info and then they have something else to fill the gaps. If you're only relying on one, that's a huge problem. Like you're you're destined to fail before you ever get started if you're relying on one data source. And the benefit of having multiple data sources was to fill the gaps and because now you can book more meetings on phone and email is a little bit more difficult than it used to be, if you don't have phone as like a primary you know, channel in your sequence, then you're in trouble. And the benefit of using multiple data providers is like, we're able to get about a 70 to 80% coverage on direct dial and mobiles, which is huge. And then you layer on using like a parallel dialer and stuff like that. And you can be very effective and very efficient with reaching the right people. And then, you know, from there, data is so accessible today, right? There's so many things that you can find with the right tools from what technologies that they're using to certain triggers like funding rounds or job openings or, you know, job changes, or they just filled this role or they don't have these roles, right? So that's like, if you look at the triggers bucket, and then you got like technographics, you know, maybe clients that are using this particular thing are better clients for us, right? So you could target them based on that and use that in your messaging. And then we even have psychographic data, identifying the personality of these people. So are they a dominant person? Are they a relationship-driven person? And so on. And that's very different messaging that you would use in a phone script and an email. And then you can even take it a step further and channel validate. So you can even put it through a process to see, hey, do they pick up the phone? Are they active on social? Like, does it even make sense to have social touches in the sequence? Well, if they're not active on social, then no. If they are, then you might have heavier social touches in your sequence. And then you can even see, like, do they respond to cold emails before you ever even put it in sequence? Wow. Okay. So is there like a research team 
that's making these determinations before they hand it over to the four, you know, people that are doing the different tasks? Or how do you, I mean, there's so many names in the database. How do you take the time to go through each one individually and decide all these decisions before they even hit the SDRs? Yeah. So it's a combination of data tools, AI, and like a human person, right? But most people don't want to spend the time to do manual research. Manual research, you know, can still be effective, but you can also do it in bulk, right? So like, you don't have to do like, do research, send an email, do research, send an email, do research, send an email. You know, if you have, you know, say you have 50, you know, 20, 50 prospects for the week, like do all your research in advance and then put them in sequence, right? And you can do some of that research with AI. You can do some of it with data tools or some of it can be done manually. Wow. Okay. I feel like, you know, you're like, your internal SDR team at a company is like just a regular civilian. They walk out onto the field with like the Oakland Raiders or the Las Vegas Raiders or, and just, you guys would just pommel them. I mean, you know, cause it's so much more advanced than your average, you know, SDR working at a company. You know what well, I mean? Well, I think the problem with a lot of sales teams that have, you know, outbound as part of their go-to-market strategy is they're still playing the more, you know, game. It's oh, a numbers sure. game, yeah, yeah. right? Hire more people, make more calls, send more emails. We'll finally get to our number. That model's broken. There's a smarter, more strategic, more efficient, more effective way to do this. And it doesn't necessarily mean more people, right? I mean, that's why we're seeing so many people get laid off because, you know, they're just like, hey, let's just do more. We just got to hire more people so we can do more emails and make more calls and we'll, you know, get to the number. But that is because of a broken way of thinking. Yeah. And theoretically, could you see this down the road? I mean, five, 10 years where, you don't need any people involved. It's just all automated. I don't think fully. I don't think fully. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that think that that is quite possible, right? I mean, you even see like, I don't know, I saw something yesterday come out where it was like GPT SDR or SDR GPT or something like that, right? Where it's like, you know, full AI SDR. I don't think that, I mean, I've seen that there's like an AI that can make cold calls, I wouldn't know if I would trust it, but who's to know in five, 10 years? I mean, look at where we're at now with tech and with AI specifically and generative AI, who would have thought some of the things that are possible now would ever be possible. And so like in five, 10 years, like I'm sure we'll be scratching our heads thinking like, geez, never thought this was possible. I know. <laughs> it seems like five to 10 days. <laughs> it's changing so fast and you know, I also think kind of somebody could have come out last year with SDR NFT. You know, that was the <laughs> NFTs were the big thing. Now it's SDR GPT. And next <laughs> week, what's it going to be next week? So it's hard to keep track of all this stuff. So one question I just want to go back to is this is totally off topic, but what are your learnings from the thing that you were doing before you went to Ledium? You know, like, are there two or three battle scars that you have from that experience that you would take forward and give people advice that are, you know, out potentially running their own company? Yeah. So battle scars from running my own company, not so much, except for, you know, I think, yeah, I made a lot of mistakes, you know, learning things for the first time, 
even just things you don't think about, like how to manage cash flow, you know, like when you have a high performing sales team and you got large commission checks you have to write, like managing oh, cash flow can be a challenge. So, you know, I think that, you know, hiring experts to do things that you're not qualified to do as soon as you can is a good move. And that could be either hiring people internally or, you know, I mean, you can pretty much outsource anything these days, anything you don't want to do. And so, you know, maybe it's initially outsourcing something because that is, you know, the most cost-effective way for you to, you know, take something off your plate, you know, staying in your lane, in your domain, in your area of expertise is I think something that's important, right? A, A founder that tries to do everything, you know, typically is not going to do anything well. So I think that that's crucial, but obviously you got to, you know, either get funding or get some customers, you know, to be able to do that. So I think as quickly as you can, I think focusing on profitability right away is really important. I think a lot of, you know, companies don't focus on that early enough where it's just growth at any cost. And we've seen what that, you know, we've seen what sort of disasters that can create, you know, those are kind of a few takeaways. Wise words. Wise words. <laughs> we can show each other our scars, right? <laughs> All that stuff resonates for sure. Yeah. So, you know, Colin, this has been so interesting, man. I think I'm interested in Lidium. I'd like to reach out to you. If people want to learn more about what you guys are doing, what's the best way to connect? Yeah. So two things really. I mean, number one, it takes a lot of hard work to consistently put on a good podcast, you know, like this. So do David a solid, write a review for the show you know, subscribe to the show, share it with your friends. That's the easiest way you can show your gratitude for consistently providing value via the podcast. Best place to find out about Lidium and anything that we're up to. We also have a podcast called Sales Transformation. We drop daily sales content. That is the best place to find out whatever's new and exciting with Lidium. And then we also have a book that's coming out soon, which you can be on the lookout for called Outbound Sales Simplified. Oh, nice. That was so funny because earlier... In the back of my head, I was like, you guys need to document this, you know, and get it down on paper, what you're doing. So I love it. I will buy that book straight away when it comes out. This is great. Awesome. Thanks, David. All right. Thanks, Colin. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.